Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network, and happy Monday to everybody. We have a great show lined up for you today. I'm your host, Adam Manez, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Legs, how was your weekend? Weekend was great, man. Weekend was great. Uh, got a chance to re- re- recharge. I knew this was going to be a big week. We had a lot of a lot of big games. I, You know, the intensity's picked up, um, so I knew we had a big week, Adam, so I got my rest in over the weekend. You can feel it. I'm telling you, even with these weekend games, we talked yeah. about it on Thursday and for our own Friday show last week when we we're coming back from the break. You can feel a level of seriousness from the teams that are vying to be serious, players taking things a little bit more seriously. And so we're going to get into some of the good ones from this weekend, which includes, of course, the Nuggets and the Warriors. Nuggets, something of a statement win over the Warriors, sweep them, have won now seven straight. We're also going to talk about a very impressive Kings win over the Clippers and DeMontis Sabonis continuing to rack up triple-double after triple-double. And then the Suns give it to the Lakers. The Lakers, I think there's a little room for concern. I'm not sure. I haven't asked him yet. We're going to talk about that later in the show and close by talking about the top tier. How many teams are in the top tier of the NBA right now? But first, we are uh, presented by DraftKings. Stay tuned because you'll hear more about DraftKings and all that they have to offer throughout the show. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Legs, we're starting with the top game, at least the top game for me. The Denver Nuggets go in to the Bay and defeat the Golden State Warriors in blowout fashion, 119 to 103. It was a game that started with Klay Thompson being on fire, 16 points in the first quarter, 21 in the first half, but he finished with just 23, slowed down after that, and the Nuggets defended, executed, and the Jokic-Murray two-man game absolutely dominated. Dominated. Jokic in particular, this stat line legs, 32 points, 16 rebounds, 16 assists, four steals. What stood out to you about this one? Well, I think all you need to know about this game is, is you know, the first comments by Steve Kerr after the game at his presser. Rarely do you see a coach come in after a game and immediately just mention the name of a player on the other team. Usually it's about they did this and we had a hard time with this. And it was immediately like, well, Jokic was just like, too much for us and it was that's really what it came down to I mean, there, nobody's got a real way to slow him down or stop him but it's especially hard for this team um because he uses his size and skill combination against against their smaller lineups better than anybody so they just they just are so overwhelmed by him um the two-man game was was important i actually thought he was just as significant defensively during a key stretch yep. in the game at the beginning of the fourth quarter when they got their separation. Um, you know, he, he had a great play. We read a flare screen. They were trying to set up for Curry, just completely read it. Draymond threw it right to him. It was um, he, led- he picked the pass. He picked off the pass, which you don't see centers do too often, especially, you know, big, slow centers like him. But to your point, it was mental. He saw it coming. He was ready for it. He read it and, and got him. 
has played against that team so many times. He knows that action they like to run. And, you know, if Draymond Green had, had like, ball faked that, you got uh, Jackson Davis right down the lane for an easy dunk. But Jokic took that gamble because you're thinking you know, it was an important time in the game. They're trying to get Steph a look, and Jokic just read it perfectly. And then the very next possession, he, like, swallows up at the rim, prevents a layup from Draymond Green. Looked like he had an uncontested layup. Jokic kind of comes out of nowhere, puts his arms off, forces a miss. I thought their activity and their size across the board, their length against Golden State's players defensively was a big factor. And even a guy like Christian Brown, you know, um, Najee gave him good minutes. They they got good defensive minutes out of their role players in addition to what you typically get out of, you know, Aaron Gordon and Jokic. Yeah. Jokic's physicality is just next level. It's the one thing that I don't think physicality always translates you know, when you sit courtside or you sit close, you really see how physical the NBA can be, especially down low. When you're watching it on TV, it doesn't it doesn't translate as much. Yoke might be the most physical center in the league. And it's not just like, you know, Julius Randle's physical, Zion Williams are physical. Yoke is just constantly putting pressure on you. You're constantly being leaned on by a 300-pound guy. And that's the thing that when you talk about small ball, you know, Draymond Green is the best, in my opinion, the best ever at small ball. This is what he does. And it means something to me that over the years, Jokic seems to have just figured out exactly where the weak spots are there and to his poses will and to nights like last night by Draymond's own admission, he had no answers for Jokic. Now, Draymond said, you know, that's a game, you know, in a playoffs, we would make adjustments this or that. But maybe I'm biased here because I watch this guy all the time. I think Jokic solves guys. That can be solved. I mean, there's some players that can't be solved. But I think Jokic solves guys. And when he has a 50-pound advantage over a guy, I think that Draymond is just a guy that he's, like, comfortable playing against, knows what he's doing. It's going to be tough. It's going to be physical. It's going to be gritty. But at the end of the game, he's going to have 32, 16, and 16. Because of that physical – Draymond can't beat him with physicality, which is one of Draymond's advantages. Totally agree. I Look, here's the problem with with Jokic in general and then particularly for the Warriors when you play a guy against him that's six foot seven that's what you're going to do talk about his weight and his physicality and the way he likes getting his back into you to feel you to feel where you are we've talked about this before like nobody has uses their leverage better than Jokic his timing on his leverage when he feels your weight or your strength coming from a different direction behind him his ability to spin the opposite way or use that against you to where you're off balance, but he never is. It's such a unique quality. You know, combine it with his feet. Just watch his yeah. feet. Jokic is never off balance. He's never ever shifts his weight to a degree that he he gets himself where he's going to take an off balance shot. When he spins, his feet never get tangled. If you do play him well and you get him to pick it up before he's ready. He still has the ability because he's not like a guy that's going to get off the ground. Like guys that spin and they're going to then try to get up in the air in the paint, you can get off balance right now you're drifting all kinds of ways. Jokic, even if he is kind of a little bit off balance, like, like you played him pretty well, he just is so patient with that last step. The last step he takes to get himself back, like recalibrated, to shoot right. an on-balance shot, something soft. And it's got to be so incredibly frustrating because – it looks so simple. Like when you watch it on film, it really does look so easy. And these guys are, you know, some of the best athletes in the world. They don't have a chance against them. And yeah. what that must look like when you go in the film room today and you're Draymond Green and you watch like how easy that looked for him. It's got to be, you know, kind of humility, kind of humbling. 
Um, but that's what he does. He does to everybody, especially the Warriors, because they just don't have that kind of length. And length doesn't bother him as much either, but at least at the end of it, if you have size, at least to get off the ground and make him see something, the Warriors don't have that at the end of these moves. So, you know, he was, you know, he's the difference between them and a lot of teams every night, but especially so last night. It was just really just, he was in a different level, different league, different size, different skill set than anything the Warriors threw at him. Yeah. The the other thing that Jokic does, again, I watch, this is the one player I watch every single night. The one thing he does is he goes into the post when it's needed a lot more than in a game that's not needed. So you're playing in a game yeah. in December against an Eastern Conference opponent, lower opponent. He He's going to play out on the elbows. He's going to do some different stuff. But when the team needs it, he goes down to the block and operates a lot more. And in the playoffs, he goes down to the block. And I always think it's kind of crafty and clever that he doesn't play through the post more. And I'm curious, knowing Yoke, maybe some of that has to do with if I did that all year, would my teammates get bored of just constantly dumping the ball into me in the post? Let's try to play some other ways so people feel connected. But to me, the Nuggets are 3-0 and coming out of the break with three blowout wins. Yoke's putting up the same stat line he had last night. He's had three games in a row now. It's insane. Uh, and I think a lot of that is now it's time to get ready for the playoffs. I'm going to go down in the post a little bit more. I'm going to impose. I'm going to be physical down on the block a little bit more than I was the rest of the year and make a difference. So I, I'm just curious, do you... Am I being like sometimes when I'm you're watching Yoke, I'm connecting dots that aren't there. But that's one thing that I see from him. But hey, it seems like he ramps up towards the playoffs to start molding his game more to be playoff form, and the post is part of that. Oh no, I can tell you right now, I've noticed that throughout his career because I know you know when I am honing in um, the analysis that I'm doing for TV, and I'm and I'm usually going to get into touch screens every game and break something down. I know. I've done way more on Jokic and what he's doing in the post in the playoffs than I do in the regular season. In the regular season, a lot of right. times it's it's more about the dribble handoff game, right? And right. what he's yep. doing on the perimeter and, and what he's doing on the glass defensively, some of the things that he does. But in the playoffs, you're 100% right. The, the, the shot quality, the quality possessions, he understands the importance of that. And there's just no, there's no answer for that anybody has for him when he goes down there and gets a couple extra dribbles. I remember, you know, you know, a couple series they've played over the say, you know, in the Jokic era where, you know, teams were almost daring him to score down there because they don't want you to have both. They're trying to take something away. And so it's like, let's see if this guy wants to shoot the ball 25 times to get 40. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. If that's what you want me to right. do. He right. does it in the big moments. You're right. Like he, he, he will be challenged in different ways with different things that are going to be thrown at him. But the because he's so well-rounded, he can beat you as a perimeter distributor. He can beat you as a perimeter player offensively. He can beat you with the mid-range. He can beat you with, the, with his back to the basket. So, yeah. you know, there's no real way that you could say, like, you know, we're going to get into the Kings a little bit and Sabonis. I think there is a way to play Sabonis. I think there's an right. effective way to play. There is no effective way to play against Jokic. You know, so, um, look, that was impressive. The three games they've had since the break, their assist numbers are off the charts. Yep. Like the way that they're sharing the basketball, the way that it's moving, I mean, it's starting to feel like right. that you know, that playoff flow that they got into a year ago. And look, I, Adam, I was talking about this last night with, with Scott Van Pelt. The Nuggets, look, it's natural to not have the same edge and intensity every night after you won a championship. That's just natural. And I don't necessarily think the Nuggets have had it. You and I have talked after a lot of these games – and you're kind of like, wow, man, you know, Nuggets didn't look great last night for whatever reason. And I don't think we said that as often in the regular season last year. Now you're going to see it, I think. You're going to start to see them tighten up, dial in, 
and and show you how dominant they could be on both ends of the floor, particularly in these close games. You know, and this was a close game going into the fourth quarter, and then the Nuggets just completely separated on both ends. The other guy I want to highlight from this game, I mean, Jamal Murray was awesome, and he deserves a mention, but the guy I want to highlight is Aaron Gordon. And in particular, I want to, you know, Draymond Green has his podcast, and after the game, he he does his show, and he had very interesting comments about Aaron Gordon. I'm going to read them off to you. He said, Aaron Gordon has grown so much since that playoff series two years ago when we played against those guys. Uh, the player he is today is so much different and better and more physical than he was then. And, you know, you get into the playoffs sometimes, and it'll shock you. The physicality was shocking. I think the physicality of the playoffs against Aaron Gordon in 2022 shocked him. Well, some players get shocked and they never recover, but those that do recover get better. And Aaron Gordon is a guy that went through that and he got better. And now he's seeking contact on rebounds, seeking contact on post-ups and way more physical. And then said that's one of the reasons the Nuggets watched him. Legs, I have thought this since 2022 in that series, yeah. since it happened, or maybe it was 2021 in that series, Draymond Green was in his ear. He was so physical with him. He was talking trash. He was telling him he's soft. He's telling him all these things. And I thought out coming out of that series, even though Murray wasn't healthy and it wasn't the real nuggets, Porter wasn't healthy either. I come out of that series thinking I'm worried about AG. I'm worried about what he's going to look like when they are ready to compete. Is he a guy that can handle it? And I also know, just to give you a piece of insight, that Aaron Gordon, whether it was earlier this year or maybe it was at the end of last year, was asked about what's changed in his game or, or some of the players that have been most influential. And he said Draymond is one of the players that's been most influential and didn't expound on it. I think this is what he's talking about. I think Draymond has a great insight into Aaron Gordon of him actually getting you know somewhat punked in that series and learning, I've got to become tougher. I've got to use my physical gifts at, uh, better. And last night you saw that, and it culminated even with the punctuation play in Eliup, and, and he throws it down. Warriors call timeout and empty their bench. But I love that insight from Draymond, and I'm curious what you think of it. I think it's that's that's first of all, it's 100% accurate. I think that's a great description of Aaron Gordon. When they picked him up, I thought he was the perfect complement for what they needed. You know, and, and it was like the question of. How long is it going to take him to get comfortable and fit? And then where were you going to see his true value? You know, he became – he came into the league as this, like, elite-level defender, and then his scoring started to pick up on Orlando. And it got to the point where, you know, there were nights where he looked more like a scorer than he did what he looks like for Denver at his best, right. which is still a guy that uses his size, physicality, his defensive versatility to affect the game. Now, when he's also going to chip in, you know, 20, you know, and play as well as he did in the finals last year, then now, you, now Denver is a team – that's when it's almost impossible to beat them because you're getting both out of him. But I agree with that. I think he's come a long way with regard to that. And guess what? They're going to need him more, Adam, in this postseason run than they did last year. They're going yeah. to need – Aaron Gordon is going to have to mm. be more of a factor for this team this year with some of the guys that he's going to get time on, some of the guys he's going to guard. Um, and and we're going to feel his impact on that end of the floor – regardless of his scoring, you know, he didn't have a huge scoring night last night, no. but it gives you that, that's a nice little supplemental chunk. If he's going to give you in that, you know, that anywhere 12 to 18 range, if he's going to give you that with everything that he was giving you um, with his, just his presence defensively and the, the number of guys that he can guard on the Warriors where he's, his, you know, he's not going to get beat off the dribble because they don't have blazing guys with the basketball. They've got good scorers, but Aaron Gordon is a guy that can keep up with them with his foot speed. Um, he's going to be needed more, Adam, this postseason than I think he even was last year. He's, he's, he's more critical. He might be 
one of certainly one of the biggest X factors, I think, in the Western Conference. His impact on a nightly basis because of who the Nuggets potentially are going to have to play and how loaded this conference is. I think one of the reasons he was so low scoring last night, Legs, there's really two ways you can guard the Nuggets. One is that you're going to aggressively scramble. You're going to bring yeah. hard rotations. You're going to trap the ball. You're going to be playing that scramble defense. Or you're going to trust your guys to play one-on-one -on -one a little bit more. That's a scale. It's not like black or white. It's a scale. And how far do you move the slider there? Last, I think the Warriors, they think, okay, we have Draymond Green. You know, nobody can guard Yoke, but if anyone can, he can. And then I think that they can trust that they can slow Murray down. But last night, Murray, 9 of 16, he was fantastic. I thought he got off to a very bad start in the first quarter. But after that, he came in and did exactly what he needed to do to get the team buckets. And he was the guy in the second and even in the third quarter. You know, Yoke was good through the whole game. He's always steady. Murray starts hitting baskets. That's when Denver came back from 16 down. So I'm curious, and, and it leads me to my big question, which is this is a very – possible first round matchup if the Warriors make it out of the play-in there's a chance that they're going to match up with the Denver Nuggets and I look at that one and I go I think I have so much respect for the Warriors and and how good they are as a team and I have all the things they've accomplished they're one of my favorite teams to watch I just think this matchup I think that it's a pick your poison for the Warriors and I think this is a very favorable one for Denver I'm curious if you agree oh Barry I, I'm not sure if the Warriors Nuggets play in the playoffs that, that the Warriors get a game um mm. Because I think Nuggets get the first two at home. They're going to win both of those games. <laughs> now, so then whenever that happens, you think, okay, if the team is clearly better, they get the first two at home. You know, that that road team, that, that you know, lower-seeded team, they got one shot to make it a series, right? It's game three right. when, they, when they change venues. Problem is, I think Denver totally understands the danger of allowing a team like that, like to get back and get life and maybe make this longer series than you want it to be, particularly when the next two rounds that you're going to be facing teams that are going toe to toe with you that can beat you to get that additional rest. Like there will be no let up on the part of the Nuggets. Um, and I think that's Mike Malone. That's Jokic. I think that's just their you know, championship pedigree from a year ago and understanding the importance of the moment. It's a terrible matchup. For Golden State, it's not great for anybody because of Jokic, but I think it's especially bad for the for the Golden State Warriors, whose you know better lineups are when they play really small. Jokic right. just destroys small lineups, and their other guys. It's beneficial to Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, and even Jamal Murray. Like in a big possession last night, you know he gets Curry in, a, in like a mid post and just shoot turns and shoots a very yep. casual shot over him from 15 feet knowing that there's no way Curry's going to be able to defend that. He's too big for him. He's got to lean back on it. There's just nothing he can do. So it's it's across the board. It's like all their positions, but particularly Jokic. I agree. I, I think that would, you know, who knows what they'll look like going into the playoffs if that matchup were to happen. It's a long way from now. But I would think there's a good chance Denver would sweep that series. <clears throat> I think it's entirely possible. I like that matchup. I just I always say if if Jokic is comfortable in a matchup, then Denver's going to have a huge advantage. I mean, it just you always want to make things uncomfortable for their team's well, best. Well, how player. many times? Let me ask you something, man. You watch him every night. How many times have you seen him uncomfortable? I mean, this is why Minnesota is one of the teams that sticks out. Is I think that that's a team again. They won in five last year. Jokic overcomes a lot, but there are these teams that nobody makes him wholly uncomfortable, but lowering him from a hundred percent comfort to say 60, 70% comfort. You know, that's, that's the most you can do for great players. Even LeBron James, you think back in the day, nobody's stopping him, but is there a guy out there that just at least makes it harder on him or a team or a scheme or what have you? And I think with yoke, Minnesota is one of those teams that does that. Um, so yeah, if we go to the golden state side of this,
I have a question. It's less about this specific game. Clay Thompson had, what did I tell you, 21 points in the first half, 16 in the first quarter. He was on fire, and it was incredible to see. And vintage Clay, he did that coming off the bench, so he did it even in short minutes. It wasn't like he played the whole first. But I wonder if, you know, the rhythm of the the Warriors died after that quarter, after that hot Clay quarter. And I'm kind of wonder if you feel – George Carl used to always tell me that the worst thing that can happen now, he's a little bit of a hater, I know, but I, George Carl used to tell me the worst thing that could happen to the Nuggets back in the day was Carmelo would get going in the first quarter because nobody else touched the ball and you knew he was going to, at some point, he was going to go cold and now you got to readjust and play and go back to your game plan. And I kind of think that happened with the Warriors last night a little bit. Clay Thompson got going so much that by the time the Nuggets punched back, it's almost like the Warriors had to reset the game. And Steph Curry had a really off night. I credit KCP a lot for his defense. But I think there's something to a a bench player in particular going off can throw off your rhythm sometimes. I think that's true with some guys. And I I could, you know, there are guys I could name, but I don't think that's the case right now with Clay. I I think him finding his rhythm is so important to their overall prospects and how we view them and how they view themselves. His production, firepower, his ability to string together shots is so important. I don't think so. I think right now Kerr will take that any day of the week. Now, he, they did a better job guarding him. The shots were a little bit more contested. They, they chased him better. Their switches on their splits were better after he got off to that hot start. You know, it's one thing now with him coming off the bench, it is a little bit different. Like at the start of the game, when he's starting, right, you're talking so much about the preparation defensively for what you're going to do for your game plan. And that like kicks in right at the start of the game. And with the Warriors, that involves a whole lot of communication on the splits, on the switches, on the jump outs, and all that. And Clay's a huge part of that, obviously. When yeah. he's coming off the bench, it's a little different, man, because it's kind of happening on the fly. And by that time, you know, hey, and if they hadn't subbed yet, pretty soon the Nuggets will be subbing. A couple guys will be coming in, right? And now it's already different. That first unit is so locked into the game plan that they're going to execute that pretty well in the beginning. But now here comes Clay Thompson off the bench, and it's like you can kind of slip through the cracks a little bit more when you're coming off the bench. And he this is two out of the three games now, and he seems really comfortable in that role. And he got rolling, and they adjusted to it, and they made it harder from then on. I don't think, it, at least for me watching the game, I wasn't thinking that at all. Like, oh, now Clay's got going. They're, they're kind of stagnant just watching Clay play. I have actually thought that more at the start of games when he was struggling, it was this thing hanging over everyone. Is Clay going to get going? Like, oh, and then the groans would come in after he missed his first two, you know, especially at home. And I thought it was like literally like a weight this team was carrying about Clay's night and how's it going to start. Now, coming off the bench, they're not as focused on that. He's just another guy coming in the game. And I just think that 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 huge, you know, tension that's in the air with the, his struggles have been alleviated. So I think it's helped their team. It's helped him. I don't know what the long-term plan is for this. They're going to keep it up or what they're going to do. But I think right now it has been successful. He did, of course, the one horrible shooting game. But he, for the most part, right, he looks right. comfortable. And I think it's a, it's been a little bit easier to, for him to come in when the game's already got a flow going. And now he comes in, he kind of just slips in there. It's not like the same thing at the start. When you know you're chest-to-chest with Clay Thompson, you're so worried about him getting going. It's a little bit different when you've already played six, seven, eight minutes. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, take a break, uh, move on from the Nuggets. Their next opponent coming up is the Sacramento Kings, who beat them, by the way, a couple weeks back, the last time that they matched up. Sabonis, Jokic, both of those guys seem to be getting a triple-double every single night. And last night, the, the Kings got a win over the Clippers. So we'll talk about that and more on the other side of the show. But first, I want to tell you guys about the Game Time app. If you are looking for tickets to an event near you this week, this month, Sometime this summer, you can hop on now and peruse all the different events in your area and see deals, uh, flash deals. You can set reminders to see if tickets uh, drop on uh, on an event or something that you're looking for. If you're wanting to go to a game, you can just hop on the app. You can show up to the arena and then just hop on the app right outside the door. Purchase your tickets right then and there and uh, and get going to that event. I'm sorry, my uh, ad reads just logged out on me in mid-mid ad read. Um, so right now, download the GameTime app. Use promo code ALLNBA. You're going to get $20 off your first uh, purchase on the app whenever you use code ALLNBA. That's the Game Time app. They have the lowest prices guaranteed. Also want to tell you about DraftKings. DraftKings Fantasy Sports, they also have the great deal going on right now where if you bet $5 on any game, you're going to get $200 in bonus bets instantly only with the DraftKings promo code ALLNBA. So when you sign up, use promo code ALLNBA. Uh, and make your bets. March Madness is right around the corner. I think the Super Bowl is the number one day of the year for making bets on DraftKings. I think that the March Madness is the second best event of the year for betting on DraftKings because you get, like if you're making bets for, for March Madness, they're coming every 10 minutes or so, a new bet is hitting. So download now, get familiar with the app. So when March Madness arrives here in a month, you'll be able to uh, join me and actually, Super producer Emma in Vegas as we're going to be making crazy bets throughout the entirety of the second round of the playoffs. That'll be pretty cool. I'm logging in right now so I can get my ad read up because I have to read this disclaimer on this one. Uh, all right. Adam, so, I sent it to you. oh, did you just send it to me? I got logged out. It was insane. So, if you have a gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler or, or in West Virginia, visit 1 800 Gambler.net. In New York, call 8778 Hope NY or text Hope NY 46. 7369 in Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas 21 or older age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario uh one no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance see dkng.com slash promos for deposit wagering and eligibility restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources all right, back here, segment two. The Sacramento Kings picked up a win over the Clippers in dominant fashion. They used an immediate, they had a nice close to the first half, and then they went on an enormous run to open up the second half to build a double digit lead, and they never looked back. 123 107. What stood out to you about this game, Legs? Uh, look, played really well. You know, Clippers without Paul George. I didn't think the Clippers played particularly well in this game, but it, you know th that's fine. You, you know, you can look at it from both angles. Let's focus on the Kings and what they did well. I thought they played really, really well in this game, and they they've been better these last three. Um, they're still slightly above five hundred now, and in, in a large sample size, I think they're twelve and ten now in their last twenty two games. And they're one of those teams. Last year, man, they got so much attention because by this point. They were kind of firmly established, like they were going to be in like you know the top three, top four in the West, and it was like this surprise story. And we talked about them all year long, and they've got a little bit lost in the shuffle because they're a good team, 
But there's been so many other stories in the Western Conference. We haven't talked a whole lot about the Sacramento Kings. And I look at them, Adam, does it feel to you like it's just like they ran it back, right? What's really different? What's discernibly different? And when you look at a lot of the teams in the West, like there was something that they did, something that they added, something a little bit different. And the Kings kind of ran it back, despite the fact that, you know, they did lose in the first round last year. And, you you know, it's a tough break, tough matchup. Three seed, you get the Warriors with Steph Curry. It took a 50-point game in a game seven to win that series. That's fair, but guess what? Every first-round matchup is going to be a tough matchup in the Western Conference. So I'm not sure I feel differently about the Kings than I did a year ago when I was you know, I really liked them, but I was also concerned about what that was going to mean later on, because I think part of the reason that they got so much attention last year and they had the record they did, Adam, was because they didn't have anybody hurt. Their team right. was incredibly healthy, like the healthiest team right. in the Western Conference by far. And it helps when guys show up every night and play, right? When other teams are missing guys or load management or there's injuries or whatever, they didn't have that. So they come into this year and they kind of just run it back. They're not surpri- going to surprise anybody now. People are kind of like aware of who they are. You look up, they've got a good record. I'm just having a hard time thinking that they're a legitimate like threat to do a lot in the Western Conference. Like I would ask your opinion. Who of the top seven, eight teams in the West, if they were to play the Kings in a first-round series, would you take the Kings over? Start going down the list. And I, I think no, that's yeah. – they're a good team. They're a good offense. They play really well together. Um, and – you know, they're, they're, they're like almost like admirable the way they play. You like how hard they compete. You love how tough Sabonis is. You love Darren Fox's skill. Even stylistically, I like them. Yeah, but I'm just not sure how I feel about their upside. Right. I guess that's where I'm torn. Last night, exception. They yeah. played really, really well in that game. They did, they did what they had to do, particularly to close that thing out in the second half. Well, inter- curiously enough, the Clippers are an interesting one. Now, there's no Paul George in this game, and I thought the Clippers played a really bad game. But I am yeah. interested in just the Clippers' style and their MO, and can they match up with a – look, they have the centers, they have Zubats, they have guys uh, plumly behind them. Tice played – had some good moments last night. But I do wonder if they can match up just with the Sabonis style of play, and that's why I think that matchup is so curious. And I'm just curious if you think there was anything about the matchup in this one between those two teams that you looked at and said, okay, this is a repeatable – matchup that they can exploit not the whole match the matchup as a whole but a specific part of what the kings did well i can tell you this i don't know so much about the matchup but i'll tell you this they better make some adjustments defensively to the way they play these dribble handoffs i mean you know we talk all the time about Jokic murray that dribble handoff game it's it's you know with primary two-man game in the nba you know that's 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 as good as it gets the bonus fox and actually i would even say more Sabonis and all of their role-playing wing players uh, in terms of you know his ability to manipulate the ball. He drops the ball behind his back to a guy coming off and kind of leans his shoulder into somebody. I thought the Clippers were horrendous in the way they defended it. There was so much space for the guard because you had Zubac, whether it was uh, Tice, whoever was guarding him, Sabonis, was so far back in the lane, you're literally hanging out your guard to dry. And Sabonis just was picking these guys apart. They could come off with all the space in the world. In fact, a big part, a big segment of the game was when De'Aaron Fox was on the bench in the fourth quarter. It was a tight game. And people, anytime that happens, well, how are they going to run their offense? Where is it going to come from? They went to Malik Monk, DeMonta Sabonis, two-man game, 
three, four, five consecutive possessions. They got something quality out of it pretty much every single time. I just thought the Clippers execution against that or whatever their game plan was, there was a ton of confusion. Guys were late. Bigs were back. Some guards went under. Some guards were fighting over on the same against the same player. Like that's not a game plan. Right. Like it, typically whoever the guy is coming off, whether it's Herter or Monk or Barnes or whoever, Davion Mitchell, you're going to play each guy maybe a little bit differently. And it's for everyone that's defending it. It's not like you have a different role for a different defender. Like for the most part, you're going to, this is what we're doing when Herter comes on the dribble handoff. They were inconsistent with their coverages. And at one point, Amir Coffey in particular was really struggling with this. And they scored like three straight times. And on the third one, Zubac, you can hear his voice. The ball goes to the net and there's a timeout. And he slams his, his hands together and goes, Amir! He yells at the top of his lungs. And he's like yelling at him as they go to the bench. And not surprisingly, Amir Coffey did not make it out of that huddle back onto the court. <laughs> he, he was substituted out during that timeout, whatever happened. But so I don't know about the matchup, Adam. Because I don't know, like, we look at the Clippers and say, well, yeah, man, they just, you know, how they're going to match up with the Kings. I don't think that. I think their game plan defensively against them and the way they run their offense has to be different. And, and it would be if, if they played them in a seven game series. You might be right. I, I think the bellwether for the Clippers is James Harden. I, I think I said this the last time we talked about him, but it was true again last night. He has 413 last night. He had an off game. He was a game worse minus 25, you know, so they lost the minutes he was on the court, which, by the way, were most of the minutes. And I just think all of the games, Kawhi Leonard's their best player, but James Harden is the head of the snake in this weird way. It's not to say that the Clippers can't win games where Harden is bad, but I think if you're trying to beat the – he is the, the – he's the one that stirs the pot. And I just think that that's the guy. And I look at it, and I don't know if there was something that the Kings were doing that made him have a bad night. I suspect part of this is that it was the third game in four nights for, for the Clippers. Their schedule had been very favorable before the break. It's going to get a lot tougher coming out of the break. But that's just one thing that I look at when I think about them is James Harden, so much rides on him. And one, now that he's a little bit up in age, is he going to be able to handle the grind going down the stretch, jockeying for positioning, then going through the playoffs when the intensity picks up? That's one big question mark I have about them. And then number two is, I think if I'm a coach and I'm going up against him, I start with, we're going to make life hell for James Harden because that's where they're most comfortable. He eats up most of the usage. And then, of course, Kawhi finishes so many of the plays. The one thing I thought they did well last night in the Kings, I believe going into the game, were last in defending the three-point line. They timed their contests on him very well. And, you know, you you kind of sense when he's going to that step back. It's definitely going to be something he's looking for. And and he's at he's got enough burst back that if if you you know if you lean too far up because you're trying to time that thing, that's when he'll hit you with that last crossover, get a step on you, throw his body into you and get to the foul line. I thought that the 10 threes he took last night, the majority of which are off of that because he almost never catches yeah. and shoots a three. It's yeah. almost always off the dribble. Um, I just felt like the defenders, and they've got some guys with some with some decent length, whether that was Herter. I mean, Herter's a really long guy. Harrison Barnes is long. Malik Monk gets off the ground. I felt like – and um, uh, who am I thinking? If there's one more guy, the other wing. Why am I drawing a blank? Keegan Murray. Whoever it was, oh, I felt like right. their timing on their on their contest was really good without fouling him uh, on that shot. And he had a two for ten night. Look, and it's you know, look, we know how 
I've been on the record about Harden in pressure moments. Well, now this is necessarily not a pressure moment, but it is a night when you don't have Paul George and Kawhi was getting hit with blitzes. He got hit with a lot of double teams in this game. So he was kind of thrown off his rhythm. You know, can you step up, carry the load? He goes two for 10 from the three point line. So I'll credit the Kings more defensively than anything. Cause I just felt like they were palm on palm on a lot of those releases and if you just are committed to contesting them, you're going to bring the numbers down. So the, the stats will tell you that the difference of contested threes and semi-contested or uncontested, it's off the charts how different it is. And I thought the Kings did a good job with that last night. They have an interesting schedule coming up. They play again tonight against Miami. So they travel from L.A. to home and then play host Miami, who, by the way, is on a little bit of a hot streak. And then they go on the road at Denver at Minnesota. So this is a three-game measuring stick really if you go back to the last game it's a four game measuring stick stretch for them uh they winning last night raised them to f the five seed which you know one game drops you to the seven one win raises you to the five right now they're at the five and they have sort of a, a a tough little uh gamut of teams to go through i just want to give sabonis a quick shout out though because i've just been so impressed with him eight triple doubles in his last 11 games only three times in his last 11 games has he not gotten a triple-double. It's now two in a row. And they're not little triple-doubles legs. We're talking 12 assists, 14 assists, 15 assists. He's been so impressive. I saw somebody in the chat. I hadn't thought of this, but now that you mentioned it, I, I, I do agree. Somebody mentioned he looks like he's in even better shape. I think he's always been in good shape. He had a mm -hmm. dunk last night, man, that yeah. was an absolute tomahawk. And I wonder if that is part of why he's doing so good. Uh, yeah, it may be. I mean, I, like, I don't know that I've seen this discernible difference he always looks like that to me the guy's built out of granite he looks like one of the strongest dudes in the league he looks he's relentless the combination yeah. of the strength and relentlessness right that's just a load i mean i couldn't imagine what that's like going to battle against Sabonis every night a guy that yeah. brings it to you that hard that consistently for the entire game um yeah. so that's that's now if if there's one question about their team it revolves a little bit around Sabonis and and like as great he's a great passer great rebounder it's a little bit right he's got some limitations offensively right in areas of the floor and he, i know he's yeah. shooting 40 percent from the three but he like, never takes them so it's it's right, it's right. if you dared him to shoot threes and you forced him to take four or five a night those numbers are coming way down but it's a little bit like right, the limitation on, on like the areas of the floor that he can score on you when you look at the other teams in the west and like their second guy and how versatile of a scorer they are. And I think you saw a little bit of that in the Golden State series a year ago. Like they played him as well as you possibly can. And it was Looney, it was Draymond Green. It was he he was he was frustrated. He had a very difficult time. I think he averaged 16 a game. It's not terrible. That wasn't his regular season. And it's certainly not as good as he's playing right now. Now, was that just a team that had some guys that you know were able to get in front of him and bother him? And they played really well in that particular series or is that something going forward he gets into another playoff series can you come up with a game plan to sort of make him do the things more often that he's not comfortable doing um last night he he, he was right in his comfort zone out of the perimeter the whole game running that dribble handoff weave game and then getting those dives getting some touches in the paint finishing against guys back on their heels when you kind of force him to be a driver attacker from the top because you're doing a good job on the guard stuff coming off of him. I think now there's some limitations. He's not going to really make a pull of 15 footer. He's not going to shoot floaters. He's going to get all, all right. the way to the rim if he can. And if you have the right guy in front of him, or if you've got help in those gaps, or he's not stepping through and getting to the rim. I think there's a way to defend him. 
and I think Golden State had the, basically the blueprint for it a year ago in the playoffs, and I think that's something still we're going to look at as, as like the challenge going into the playoffs this year. He's got to be as good or better than he is in the regular season. Like that's what they're going to need Sabonis to be to survive around at least. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's move on now to the other game we want to talk about today, which is the Phoenix Suns beating up on the LA Lakers. LeBron was active for this game. He put in 28.7 rebounds, 12 assists, but the Phoenix Suns controlled this one right from the opening jump. First quarter, 45 to 28. That was the difference. It didn't really ever waver from that. What stood out to you about this one? I thought this was the best flow the Suns have had um, when I've watched them. Like there, there are there are games that Beal didn't play, and right. I'm not saying that that's you know a good thing that he didn't play to help them with their flow because they got to figure it out when he plays too. But I just thought there was inclusion with other guys when it was a simple play to make for those guys. And I think Durant and Booker, you know, they're such raw attacking scorers that when they catch it, of course, they're going to try to go. But, you know, they, if they get to that 15, 18 foot, it's like a pull-up jumper like every time. They weren't doing that as much last night. They were coming off, getting into that spot, dropping it off to Nurkic. You know, I thought his touches were so important in the way you have to make teams pay for extending out of the perimeter against their guards. Nurkic got a bunch of touches. The number of times it went into the paint, came out of the paint, and then around the perimeter one more pass for an open look, whether it was Grayson Allen or Royce O'Neal played great in this game, whoever it may be, I thought felt like it was a refined, polished offense. It wasn't just a series of difficult made shots where we kind of are in awe of Booker and Durant's offensive ability or Beal when he plays. It was more than that. It was like Nuggets at their best or Boston at their best. The ball was hopping. The reads were proper. Everybody touched it. Their starting lineup was just every down you know, one through five. Every one of those guys had a huge, impactful game. I was very impressed with that and the way that they played. The Lakers, you know, it's another, you know, th that's another set of issues. We talk about some of their deficiencies. To me, this was more about a really clean game on the part of the Phoenix Suns. Why do you think it was? Because we've seen some, you know, it feels almost rare for the Suns to have that. They always have the shot making, but it feels rare for them to have that level of flow to them. I think for me, I think it was, it was built around Devin Booker's decision making. You know, mm. I, look, I love Devin Booker, and he's he's. I love how he competes. He wants it. He's tough. I think he's the right guy to be alongside Kevin Durant. I, I think he's perfect for that. But that sometimes it's he's so in that mode of score, 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 attack, attack, attack. They're going to be impossible to guard if the ball changes sides of the floor. If the ball 
doesn't, you know, stay on one side as it comes up, and that's the same side the Florida shot is taking. They're going to be impossible to guard because they've got enough shooting. They've got great one-on-one players to break you down a little bit the floor. And then they've got a more than serviceable center who finishes so well at anything around the basket. He has to be rewarded for all the screens and dives he's setting. And some nights I don't think they're looking at him. It's mm. like they're coming off, Nurkic is diving, and he's not getting it. And even if he doesn't score, the fact that it goes there and what that does to you mentally, defensively, knowing that they're making that read when you jump out is so important. They did it last night. They don't always do it. And I think I would probably give Booker most of the credit for that in the flow of the game. It just looked like a more well-rounded offense than what we normally see. I'm interested what you think the panic level is or should be for the Lakers. And look, they're 31 and 28. They're sitting a half a game ahead of the, of the Warriors, but there is separation now starting to form between the league, the West top eight, and then the Warriors and Lakers, who are now four games in the loss column behind the Dallas Mavericks ahead of them. And I just thought there might be a little bit more urgency, especially in this part legs of their schedule coming out of the break, because if you look at it, starting on March 2nd, the entire month of March is insane. They've they just play nothing but the best teams in the league for the entire month of March. And I look at that going, you're already four games in the last column behind Dallas. You're not going to fall out of the play-in. But I look at it and go, I don't see momentum building for that team. And that's a little concerning for me. No, I agree with that. And look, I don't think that they've approached the season thinking like, well, you know, it doesn't matter where we finished because of what happened last year. We went to the conference finals and look where we came from. <laughs> I don't think they thought that. But at the same time, maybe there's a subconscious comfort zone there. Because they still look around and go, we still do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like, you know, it's not going to get so bad around here. We've got those two guys. We'll take our chances against any of these teams. And particularly, I think there's some teams that the Lakers would look at in the West and say, these they're, they haven't gotten it figured out yet. But they got to um, get there. They got to get they, there. If you're guaranteeing you're a bottom, a nine or 10 team, that means you have to win two play-in games, two single elimination games. I want to be clear on something. I'm not saying I think that. I'm saying <laughs> right. internally, right. this might be a little bit of a comfort yeah. zone they have because they have two players. I already said last week uh, on television, oh, because of course we're you know we're forcing the LeBron conversation all the time, and I right, they were right. like, well, which team is more likely to make a run? And I said I, honestly, neither. What meaning right. Warriors and Lakers? I don't think either of those teams are going to win a first round series. As we sit here right now, something dramatically would have to change. So I don't think that's going to happen. But I just know for them, to have LeBron and AD on your roster, I think it it gives you this, this thought that just get us in the ring. Just get yeah. us in the ring. You only have to win one road game, and you've gotten home court advantage in that series. We, we, we can – we could take our chances with those two players if we get into a series. But I think relative to the minefields, the number of minefields in the Western Conference, this is not going to be a similar run to what the Lakers had a year ago. This is why I just look at it and say, okay, that month of March, I don't think they're catching New Orleans, Dallas, Phoenix. I don't think they're catching those teams. So if I look at it right now, I know anything's possible, but right now I think the Lakers are going to have to win two play-in games, two single elimination games. And if they do that, waiting for them will be a team like Minnesota, who you could tell me on paper they feel good about it, but you're going to be talking about a team that got seven days rest and you're going to be coming off of essentially two game sevens with travel in between both games. I just look at that and say the Lakers – 
they're they're right on that edge of me. Not I'm writing them out for the championship just because I think it's absurd to call a team that's 31-28 a, a contender. But I'm right. I'm about ready to write them out. I'm just saying like they're they're going to look like a typical eight seed if they even make it out of the play, and they're going to look like that where they will be heavily disadvantaged in what, no matter what matchup they get into. Which brings me to what I really wanted to ask to wrap up today's show, which is earlier in the year we talked about contenders in like tier one. And I think we had five or six teams that we had put in that, that we could talk ourselves into being tier one as an NBA contender right now. The next eight weeks, the final eight weeks of the season, seven weeks, whatever it is, this will change. But I wanted to take inventory right now as we're coming out of the break. How many teams do you, would you put in tier 1A, the top tier of title contenders? All right, so there's, like, there's two different conversations. Like As we sit here now, or what I think, you know, how I project this to go. So I'm going to just go with today as we sit here today. Okay. As we sit here today, I think the only team on that level in the Eastern conference is Boston. I agree. There's too much. There's too much for Milwaukee to figure out. Look, there's been some, there's been some signs of progress. Very difficult to take much out of a game against Philly. If they don't have Embiid. there's not a lot you can take out of that. But the bottom line is they were losing games like that to teams they shouldn't lose before the break. You know, you know, they're four and six in their last 10. That's not, I mean, four and two in their last six. All right. That's not, you know, world beater stuff. And we know they've got these two star players. I need a much larger sample size out of them before I realize anything about them. The Knicks could get there. Not right now, not without Julius Randle healthy, not without OG Ananobi healthy, not without Mitchell Robinson healthy. Eventually their depth, is going to be unreal if all those guys come back healthy. And I think there's some concern about Julius Randle right now. Just, you know, when you hear he's still considering surgery after rehabbing it for this long, Man. that's not a great thing to hear that mm. he hasn't already figured out he's not getting surgery. Like that was kind of bizarre to me a couple of days ago. So I'm concerned about that. You can't put them in that category. And that leaves like Cleveland. Maybe some people would put Cleveland in that in that realm. They're, to me, I think they're 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 so far so much of a gap between them and Boston. I just don't know if I could put them there in the same in the same room, right? With with the Boston Celtics. Now, when you got West, it gets a lot more complicated. For for well, let me do, let's do this. T- tell me your thoughts on the East as I just broke it down. Anything different there? Or anything that you you know you have a different perspective on any of those four teams? Whenever so the way everybody looks at this different, it becomes a little bit semantic. When I say tier one. I just say like the team that you're not surprised, you know, they, they're supposed to do it. And right now it is only Boston. That's not to say and when you say, even... when you say do it, you're saying win a championship, right? Correct. Yeah, exactly. Like, get to the, yeah. it off. Get the whole, not yeah, make it to the conference yeah. finals, not make it to, like, you could see this team having a parade. Correct. That That's what I mean. Okay. And like, you know, last year I did not have Miami in that list and they made it there. And that's not to say, it's just to say they weren't favorites. That was an upset run that they had to do it. And there's a lot of teams that can make an upset run. And I agree with you on Milwaukee. They're just such a TBD for me. Um, but every other team I look at and I say, yeah, if Cleveland beat Boston in a playoff series, I'd be pretty surprised. I'd be pretty surprised. All right. Yeah. So I think we see that the same way. That's that's much easier, obviously, much easier conference. Yeah. And the one from the know, East. The monkey the monkey wrench could come with Embiid returning at some point, or you know, Knicks get everybody back when the heat all of a sudden get out. Oh, by the way, there is one team, and look, they're not a championship contender contending team right now, but man, oh man, are the Pacers like the Pacers are a really tough team to think about playing in the playoffs or even on a on a one-off on a regular season, man. They're they're 
they're impressive to me. They're not in that category, but I think it's interesting as we sit here, they're only a game and a half out of the four spot, and the Knicks mm-hmm. have all these injuries. And if Randall doesn't come back, or right. he out surgery and he's out, and if they're they're a game and a half back, the way that they play and as hard as they are to prepare for in the regular season with the way that they move the ball and the pace. I mean, Pacers could end up hosting a first round playoff series. It's not out. Of, it's not out of the question right now as we sit here. So that's just kind of crazy that they're there. Um, going into the West, obviously Denver is there. I think the Clippers. I would put there despite their struggles right now. I think the Clippers. To me, I've seen enough of them at their best to know what that looks like. I don't know exactly kind of what's going on with them right now, other than they, you know, they don't seem like they have everybody every night, but. Yeah. Yeah, they might change my mind, man. You know, two weeks from now, maybe I'll say, you know what? There's just there's something missing there. Um, right now, though, I, I think I'd put them in that category. I'd put Minnesota in that category. So that's three. I think Phoenix and Dallas can get there. I'm not sure I would include Oklahoma City, and they're going to hate me for that. But do you? Do you think <laughs> Oklahoma City? Would you or would you not be surprised? And I don't think surprised is the right word because at this point, at, honestly, at this point, I think a lot of us, it, you'd be surprised if it was anyone other than Boston or Denver. Yeah. But let's say shocked, right? Would you be sh- Would you be shocked if the Oklahoma City Thunder won a championship? Do, do you think they belong in the same category with all these other teams? They're 40-17 and 17 tied with the Wolves. They've had an incredible regular season. They always think I don't give them enough credit. I just don't. It's hard to imagine, man, going from – in one year, taking that kind of a leap where you're literally threatening to win the whole thing? I would be shocked. I mean, look, there's just not a lot of precedent for a team that young and that green. It's not even young. It's just the inexperience of it. There's just not a lot of precedent. And I know you're right. Thunder fans will always get upset. 40 and 17, they have, they've checked every box you can check in the regular season. I really believe that. I mean, they have all the big wins. They haven't dropped. You know, when there's been measuring stick games, they have passed them. Playoffs are a different animal, and I just said there's not a lot of precedent for it. And I do see some areas where you get into a playoff, uh, you know, a playoff series, and it's going to be yeah, that's going to become a little bit trickier. Teams are going to key in on the, their lack of size, especially in their front court. They're going to key in on that and and probably be able to exploit it. What I disagree with you on though is I think there's only one team I put in tier one, and that's the Denver Nuggets. The Timberwolves are very close. They're the one team that I, if you told me they belonged in there as well, I, I could agree with you. But for the same reasons I just said about the Thunder, the inexperience I feel about the Timberwolves, it's hard to go from one playoff round where you won one game to all of a sudden now you're a champion. I just think that's a huge hump for you to get over. Uh, It's possible. They are an older team and they have players that have different experiences in different locations. So, so, you know, that makes things a little bit different than, say, a Thunder situation. But for me, uh, it's the Nuggets one. And the Clippers, to me, remind me too much of New Orleans. They're like the A version of New Orleans in that their best yeah. they look so unbelievable, but why don't we see it as consistently as as you expect given the, the talent they have on that roster? I think if you asked me this two weeks ago, I had the Clippers in that conversation. You know, I had them there. The schedule gets tough for them coming up. They have some back to backs. They're gonna have to survive that. I just think that right now they they are another team that I think has to prove a little bit more for me before I put them in that. Again, doesn't mean they can't do it. I just if I'm saying Tier one. If I'm breaking this all into tiers, I think Denver and Boston are the two teams that are tier one. So it sounds like if uh, you had to get odds in Vegas, Boston or the field in the East, you're taking Boston. I think I would take Boston versus the field, which is kind of crazy. I would too. How about Denver versus the field in the West? No, I would take the field against Denver, mostly because I think there's more good teams. 
Is it less about Denver and more about there's just a lot? They're going to have four tough matchups where I think Boston might find a favorable matchup, maybe even two en route to, to uh, you know, depending on how things break. Look, we don't know how this is all going to shake out. Like I said, I think Phoenix's best days are ahead. Uh, they just have no stretch of health to this point where all these guys play enough to really find that rhythm. I think Dallas, I'm, you know, on record, so I really like what Dallas has done. They got blasted by Indiana, but, you know, that's going to happen in the regular right. season. I'm not worried about that. But, look, the, right now you've got five, four teams separated by one game in the loss column. And yeah. if, depending on how this plays out, Adam, you could have you could have Luka, Durant, LeBron, and Steph in the play-in. <laughs> that, could be your, that could be your play-in tournament. Right. That's, I mean, because there's just a lot to be decided. These teams are all going to be playing each other quite a bit down the stretch. Um, and let's see. Like, I think yeah. at the end of the day, right now, if I had to predict who's playing in the finals, I think you're right. I think it would be Boston, Denver. Yeah. But I do and think, I do think that I do think the margin is a lot closer in the West than it is the East. Yeah, I think so too. And again, we'll do this again going into the playoffs. I just thought it'd be a nice little check-in right now. And my my hunch legs is that we have a different opinion in seven weeks than we do right now because this really is, as we mentioned, this is a, a spot in the schedule where teams start to reveal a little bit more about themselves and you get a better sense of them. That does it for today's show. On tomorrow's show, I'm looking at the schedule here, the Kings and the Heat. I'm excited to get back into the Heat. It's been a while since we've talked Heat. They play the Kings tonight. They've been on a little bit of a heater, so I'm excited to watch that one. And then, of course, the Pacers that you referenced, they have a back-to-back. -back. They play Toronto. They host Toronto. Another matchup of players visiting their former teams. So that one should be good as well. I look forward to that. Any final thoughts, Legs? No, man. Light schedule tonight, but uh, hopefully the game scripts something good for us. Yeah, maybe one of those other two games. We also have Piston Knicks. I don't expect anything great out of that, but you never know. And then Nets Grizzlies, same thing, but... You know, you never know. All right, that does it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe on our podcast app. Don't We appreciate you watching in on YouTube. We love this as a YouTube show, but don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe there as well. Hit that like button on the way out. We'll see you tomorrow. Like the mayor.